In Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13, this is not in your outline. If you want to look it up later, you don't have to write it down. Matthew 24, 12 and 13, Jesus says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because, in, because lawlessness, that is people who don't follow God, people who are going against the ways of God, will increase. Does that sound like our world? The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Not my words, Jesus' words. Which highlights the importance of us running this race, this life, this journey that we're on as an endurance race all the way to the end. The Christian life is an endurance race. And according to Jesus, you only make eternal heaven by staying in that endurance race all the way to the end. And I'm seeing this, this word endure or endurance in Scripture in more ways than I ever have before. In, in books of the Bible that I'm listening to and, and reading, endurance, endurance, endurance. And, and I always knew, kind of knew it was there, but for some reason, God is making it jump out of me. In your outline, I put the statement that Christ following life is an endurance race all the way to eternity. And that endurance defined is the ability to withstand elements and then have the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual resources to make it all the way to eternity. That's what endurance is about. It's the ability to withstand. So in an endurance race that we talked about, those, those ultra races of 100 miles in 30 hours, they have to have the ability to stand, withstand the external stuff and then have the internal resources, the ability to go all the way to the end. And let me just review what we talked about last week very quickly. I'm just going to make the statements and then we'll move on. You can listen to last week's message if you want to, to get more of that. This race is motivated by a heavenly realm perspective. It's seeing from where God sits instead of from where we sit. It requires the very best of us. And few will endure to eternity. That's Jesus' word. So, and he's talking to people who are following him. It's those who endure to the end that will be saved. Not those who say a magic prayer or look like they're leading a good life. It's those who endure to the end. And then we, we, looked at, we started looking at Hebrews and, and how it highlights what this endurance race is all about. So turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Does anybody need a Bible? We just bought a whole new case. So if you need one, take one. Anybody need one? One up here? Anybody else? Hebrews chapter 12. And if you have a good memory, you'll notice that I added a few verses to what we looked at last week. And you're probably thinking, Herb, if you keep adding verses, we're never going to get through this series. And you might be right. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 8 and verse 11. Therefore, since we are, does this sound familiar? There we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And then verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so when he talks about discipline here, he's not so much talking about correcting as, and as in punishment, as, but rather training so that you become like Jesus. And fasting is a part of that discipline. It's the ability to deny ourselves that which is, um, which is needed, which was legitimately ours, setting it aside in order to focus on God instead. So how do we complete the Christ-following endurance race? Number one, draw on the examples of others. We talked about that last week. Um, that we are to follow those who are following Christ. Be imitators of me, said the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Because examples show what is possible. We talked about Roger Bannister there. Examples show us real faith. And faith be, meaning to be convinced and thus actively trust and obey. Faith not as this is the Christian faith as if it's some philosophy, but rather a practical trust and obey, putting it into action. And then examples inspire and propel us. And we read through Hebrews chapter 11. So how do we do that? In verse 1, keep your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says, let us also, let us join those people who were examples. And how do we do that? Number two, streamline. Streamline. The second part of verse 1 says, oh, and just an aside, if you ever see, so if you see verse 1b, that means it's the second part of that verse. So if it's 1A, it's the first part. 1B is the second part. 1C is the third part. 1Z, I've, I've never seen that. <laughs> that would be the 26th part, I guess. <laughs> Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The type of race that you're on or the type of journey that you take determines what you carry along with you. If you're going on a cruise, you might take a lot of stuff. If you're moving across the ocean, you might have trunks and trunks of stuff. But if you're running an endurance race, you have to streamline down to the basic essentials. And what the picture that came to mind was skin suits. Have you, have, you, have you watched the Olympics recently? In the Summer Olympics, they have these runners and they're wearing what looks like swimming suits. I mean, they're, they're skin-tight racing suits. And, and for many of them, they go from chest all the way down to their feet because they think that that will 
cut down on wind resistance. If you watch the swimmers, they, they are in these skin kind of suits where it cuts down on the resistance. And, and so if, if you went to one of these Olympic athletes and said, you know, I think you ought to take a backpack when you're swimming that 100-yard race. I think you ought to carry a trunk on your shoulder while you're doing the 100-yard dash. They'd look at you like you were crazy. Why? Because you have to shed, if you're going to compete you have to shed everything possible. And so the ultra races that we talked about last week, the 100, yard, 100 miles in 30 hours, they don't carry much with them either because they depend on other people to provide stations where they can get the resources that they need. They trim down to the basic essentials. And so here what he's picturing, let us also lay aside every weight. He's picturing an endurance race where you shed everything that's not absolutely necessary. Every weight means to rid yourself of all the extras, anything that would hinder. And if you look up the, uh, in the original language, the actual translation is superfluous flesh. And I thought, that's curious. The idea here is that um, it, it's the language of athletes to mean um, getting the body supple and sinewy and losing all the extra pounds that would hinder you from running a race. Because every pound that you have on your body when you're running a race is an extra pound, that's an extra toll on your body. And so he's saying, when you lose every, reduce every weight, every pound makes the endurance race harder. We can't be dragging stuff around. It's the weights, he's talking about get rid of these weights, get rid of anything, anything that hinders, that prevents you from enduring to eternity. Get rid of, it could be, and, and one of the commentators I looked at, he says it can be religious rules. Things that Jesus doesn't want you to be carrying around or doing. It can be pride. Thinking more of myself than I ought to think. It can be with Abraham, it was his son Isaac. The reason he said, I want you to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice is because he began to love his son and he was making decisions according to his love for his son rather than his love for God. A willingness to let go of everything. Get rid of anything and everything that would hinder. We never get to the place in a Christian life where there aren't, there's not stuff that God still needs to deal with. A good possibility if you fast and pray this week is that as you're fasting and praying, God will identify something that you're holding on to that you don't even know that you're holding on to. And then you have to make the decision. Am I going to shed that weight? It's anything that would hinder me. If, I can't, if, 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 if there's anything where God would, could give us an instruction and, and I would say, no, that's too much, then I've got a weight that's going to hinder me. And remember, Jesus said, he who endures to the end. There are people who have tried to run these endurance races and they, 
They um, haven't stripped down enough. And they may make 90 out of, the, out of the 100 miles. But because they're carrying that extra stuff, they, they, they don't finish. They, they lose the ability to even walk forward another step. He who endures to the end. So what are the, religi- what are the weights that you might be carrying? These are not sins. It's just extra stuff. It may be paring down our schedule. It may be getting more quiet. It may be, um, you know, simplifying our life in some way. But it's anything that would hinder us from following Christ. And then he goes, the second category is the sin which clings. Let us also lay aside every weight, verse 1, and sin which clings so closely. These um, are the, the sins... So when he talks about sins too closely, it's in the, as, uh, it would be like a runner that's got a skin suit, but then he puts on a robe on in addition to the skin suit. And as, as he's running, the, the robe's flapping around his knees and getting in his way and causing him to trip up. Um, and he said, I don't want to give it up because I like it. The sin which entangles is that which is that we're most vulnerable to. And I want you to hear me on this. Every single one of us have certain sins, certain temptations that we're vulnerable to, that the person beside us may not be. That, those things that Satan has used in the past that can trigger us to disobey God. The sins that so easily entangle. The, it's, the, it's the sin that if you... There are, there are lots of temptations where you can say, oh yeah, that's a temptation. You know, you just kind of walk right by it. But this one, if you just get a little bit too close, you know, you're done. You slide right into it because it so easily entangles. He says, we have got to be, why? Because he who endures to the end will be saved. Not he who endures to the 90th mile, he endures to the end. So here he's talking about those familiar sins, the sins that easily surround us and capture us and take us captive. For the athlete, um, the elite athletes, if you hear them talk about their training, um, what, what you discover is there are certain foods that they really like, but they won't eat. Because they know that on the day of the event, it will slow them down. They won't have the energy that they need because they've eaten something that sucks their energy. They, there's, there's, they need to drink a certain amount of water. They need to make sure their electrolytes are up. They need all of this training regimen in order to be at their very best. Satan knows the strongholds. He knows the things that we're vulnerable to, and he will try to get us to partake in those because he wants us to, to get um, disqualified from the race. The sin which clings so closely, the familiar sins. Have you ever been um, anywhere out in the woods where there were gnats? Or swarms of mosquitoes? And what do you do when you, when, when you, you swat them, you try to get, you know, and then as soon as you stop swatting, what happens? They're right back in your face. And the only thing that you can do is leave that location. Right? 
There have been times when, when we'd be sitting down as a family and mosquitoes start, and as much as we wanted to stay out there, we couldn't because otherwise we'd look like a welt factory the next day. You just had to leave the location. I want you to listen to me. There are temptations for certain sins in our lives. We need to leave the location because we can't stay close to them. They too easily entangle us. Streamline, strip down so that we can do whatever. And so do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And, and again, fasting is the way to build your spiritual muscles against both the weights and the sins that so easily entangle because fasting is denying yourself um, food and you build your spiritual muscles to be able to say no to other things. When you're saying no to food, which is legitimately yours, as a willing participant, you're building those muscles so that the next time this temptation comes along, your muscles are stronger and you're able to say no when you haven't been able to say no in the past because it's discipline, it's training. So do whatever it takes. Streamline. Ask help from fellow runners because we're in this together. We're not competing against each other. This is an endurance race and everybody wins who gets to the end. Ask instructions. Um, boy, I got so many things. Number three, plot on. Plot on. It's an endurance race. It's not... Um, what do they call those? Sprint. It's not a sprint. It's an endurance race. It's not even a marathon. Marathon's only 26 miles. To a, uh, an ultra endurance runner, that's only a quarter of the race. It's an endurance race. It's not about speed. It's about endurance. And so it's not about running fast. It's not about being, being super sorry. It's about plotting. It's about taking the next step. And so I put in your outline there, it's one persistent step at a time in Jesus' strength. Just one persistent step at a time. It's not about who gets there first. It's just about taking the next step. And sometimes when you're in this endurance race, you just hit a wall. And the only thing you can do is put your head down and your shoulders are drooping. And all you can do is just pick up that foot and make the next step. And that's all you have to do. You don't beat yourself up because you're, you're worn out. You don't, as long as you just have one more step, just take, keep taking one more step, just plodding forward. One persistent step at a time. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. I can plot on. I can reach eternity in this endurance race through Christ who strengthens me. See, a lot of times those who are, are Christ followers try to do it in their own strength. You just keep, like, I gotta, I gotta pull it up within me. I, gotta, I just gotta will myself to, and you can't do it. You have to have his strength. One persistent step at a time. When I was in college, I went to a Bible college. There were a lot of people who were studying for ministry. And I would watch. And there, there were some people that I was in college with, and, and everybody looked at them and thought, they're, they're, you know, I mean, they're going to be the superstars. They just knew how to speak. They looked good. They talked well. They interacted with people well. They just seemed to have all the skills. 
of a talented person. They're going to be the ones who just blow the walls out, congregations, and people are going to come, and, and they're going to be the superstars. And then you look at other people, and you go, and the rest, you know, we'll just kind of be middle of the road. We'll just kind of somehow, we'll, you know, we'll just. And then you look at it, some of them, and you go, why are they here? You go, you just shake your head and you think, somebody needs to tell them to go to carpentry school or, you know, or go, you know, wash cars or something. You know, it's just, but they would persist and they would graduate. You go, oh, Lord, help them. And he did. And now, 40-some years later, I look and there aren't many of those superstars left. Do you know why? They were relying on their own strength. We can speak well, we relate, you know, we're, they, they flamed out. They didn't make it all the way to the end. And I have come to appreciate so much those who just plod on. Those, some of them, we, nobody thought they'd graduate, and here they are. They're pastoring churches, and people's lives are being changed. Why? Because they're operating in Jesus' strength not their own. It wasn't about them from the beginning, but we were too young and dumb to, to know that. Just plodding all the way to the end. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. It's not about being a superstar, how, how good you are, how talented you are. It's just about doing what God wants you to do. One persistent step at a time in his strength. And when you get to that place, when you have no more strength, it's the perfect place to be. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong, the Apostle Paul says. Because now I'm operating in his strength. I don't need more of me. That just causes problems. I need more of Jesus. Amen. And when I get more of Jesus, then I get the strength to take one more persistent step forward. Because it's he who gets to the end that will be saved. He who endures to the end. And then the next bullet point is that it's the race that Jesus has marked out for us. The race that Jesus marked it. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not the race that we think we should run. It's the race that he tells us to run. Amen. And so, um, imagine that you are sitting with a track team, and you're listening to the coach, and, and, in the pre, and, and so they're in training camp, and he's going around and he's talking to the different members of the people that have come out for the track and he's asking them, okay, what, what event do you want to run? You know, what, and, you know, somebody goes, well, I think that'll be good for you. And the next one is a guy that is six foot seven, weighs 350 pounds, strong as an ox. And he says, you know, I'd like to run the 100 yard dash. And the coach says, well, why do you want to do that? Well, my, my brother did that, and he was so successful for it. And, and he has all these trophies at home for the 100-yard dash, and, and I'd like to follow in his steps. And, and the coach wisely says, if you want to be successful, let me help you run the race that you should be running. How about shot put? How about something where strength is required? And then the coach goes, and I remember your older brother. He was 5'9 and weighed 100 pounds. And he was fast as the wind. Uh, by the time, if you ran a race against him, you would just be getting up off the starting line. 
when he's going across the finish line. Because that's not the race you're supposed to run. And too many of us get discouraged because we look at other people thinking we're supposed to run like them. And that's not the race that God is in. The race that he has set before you. Your race, according to his way. And it's a race, if you look at verse 2 there in Hebrews chapter 12, if we're running the race that he sets before us, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus, as our example, had joy in this race. So if you're in the race that God wants you to run, you'll find joy. It'll be hard. It'll be difficult because it's an endurance race. But you will find joy because it's the race that he wants you to run. Plot on. And then number four, hyper-focus and hyper-follow Jesus. Hyper-focus and hyper-follow Jesus. When um, our youngest son, Chad, was four or five years old, the Olympics were on TV. And for some reason, he got enamored by them. And so he, he might not even been in kindergarten yet, but he would sit in front of the TV and he would be glued to the TV. And it'd be time for dinner. And I'd say, Chad, nothing. Chad, nothing. Chad, nothing. Glued to the TV. Chad, nothing. And then I'd go over and I'd put my hand on him and he'd jump. Chad, don't you hear me calling you? No, I didn't hear you calling me. Because he was hyper-focused on what he was watching. When we get hyper-focused on Jesus, other things will fade. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so hyper-focus, that's what great athletes do. Athletes will tell you, it was true for me, I'm not an elite athlete, but when I played basketball, and if there were people in the stands, I didn't even hear them, because I was focused on the game. I didn't hear cheers, I didn't hear boos, I didn't hear anything. Because of hyper-focus on the game. We have to hyper-focus on Jesus. Our eyes need to be on Him. It's all about Him. And when we do that, then we have the strength that we need and we'll be able to take one persistent step at a time. Look what the scripture says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. who Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he, in, in, in chapter 11, he went through that hall of, or, or the, yeah, the hall of faith, all of those people. And now he comes to chapter 12 and he says, but Jesus is distinct among all of them because he's our savior and our Lord. So looking to Jesus, we, we can follow others and be encouraged by their example, but we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is our goal. Jesus is our goal. Looking to Jesus. Everything about Jesus. He is our all in all. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. And so we look to Jesus. We follow Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And someday, someday, our goal is that we will walk across the threshold that goes from this life to the next. And standing on the other side of it will be Jesus arms held open, looking to us, saying, well done. Well done. You made it to the end of the endurance race. Well done. 
my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your rewards. That's our goal because he died for us and he will welcome us. He's our goal. He's our savior, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that won it for us. He's the author. He's the one that won salvation for us. He's our captain. And so his words and his words alone, he's our resourcer. He, that, that word perfecter of our faith is, it could be translated completer. So he authored our faith, he founded our faith, but then when, he, when it says he's a, the perfecter of our faith, he's not talking about him being perfect. It, he's talking about him reaching into our lives and developing us so that we become more and more and more like him, perfecting our faith, growing in our faith to becoming more and more like Jesus. And so he becomes our coach. And he tells us what we should be doing. He becomes that that older ox tugging us the way that we need to be. It's all about Jesus, the captain. And he's the resourcer. And so, as I mentioned before, all along the race, all along that ultra race, there's someone who is providing the resources. Someone who's got water, someone who's got food, someone who's got electrolytes, someone who's got whatever they need, band-aids. Uh, along the way, they have those stations set out. He's the resourcer. And, and if they don't have that person resourcing them, they can't make it. If we don't have Jesus resourcing us, we don't make it. He's our resource. And so when we get to the end of ourselves, we go to him and he gives us the resources of himself. We don't need more of us. And we don't need more of other people. We need their encouragement. But we need Jesus. And he will resource us. When we get to the end of ourself, he says, when you're weak, then you're strong. He's our resourcer. I can't emphasize that enough. And so there, there, if, you're, if you're fasting this week, there may be times when you get to the end of yourself, you, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And if you look to God, and, and so the devil will be whispering in your ear, he's going to be saying, yeah, that's right. You just, you just need to give up. What were you thinking? And if you listen to that, you will give up. But if you listen to Jesus, he'll be saying, I got you. I got what you need. Here's what you need to do. You're tired, you're weary, you haven't been eating anything, you're about worn out, take a nap. Do you think Jesus would ever tell us to take a nap? You just need to to stop for a minute. You just need to resource. I need to resource. He's our resource. And then he's our model. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. He's our model. Um, it's, It's in our humanness. Our tendency is to focus on how hard things are rather than to focus on the joy that will come after we endure. And that's how the devil gets a lot of people to give up. 
Because Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. He says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I mean, Jesus tried to warn us over and over. This is hard. This is really hard. This is going to be really hard. But the joy that was set before him. How in the world did Jesus endure the cross? How in the world did he make it? The joy set before him. He didn't look at the cross. He didn't feel, he wasn't focused on the pain. He was look, he was focused on the joy. He was focused on what was coming, the promise that was ahead. As they interview former prisoners of war, especially from World War II in the Western theater when um, the prisoners of war were treated so poorly by the Japanese that they emerged as skin and bones. They will interview them and say, what was it that, that helped you to survive? Because there are a whole lot of people who didn't. And almost to a person, they will say, it's because I wanted to get back to my wife. I want to get back to my child. I want to get back to my mom. I knew, or I, I knew that God was with me. And they, and they said, well, what about all these people that died? And they would hear, they gave up hope. They gave up hope. There was nothing to look forward to. They gave up hope. They gave up hope. You can endure anything if there's hope, if there's joy. That's what we have to do. Because it is hard sometimes. Look to hope. And that's why as, as a team together, we need to pay attention when one another are, are beginning to give up hope. You can see it in an athlete. You can see it when in basketball, when they start, you know, pulling on their pants and they're, uh, they're hunched over, they're getting tired. You can see it in, when, when athletes begin to look down instead of up. You can see it. And we need to pay attention to one another. When we start looking down, when you see other people looking down or on the edge of making bad decisions, we need to come alongside them and say, Hey, come on, come on. I'll, I'll give you some of my hope for a while. Because it's he who endures to the end. Satan will do anything he can to take you out. Because he doesn't want you to experience the incredible joy that comes in being in the presence of God. There is no greater joy. There is no greater pleasure. And Satan doesn't want you to have it. So we need to help each other. We need to encourage one another. So let me ask you, and just a very practical question. As we were talking, what did God bring to mind about streamlining? What do you need to do to streamline? What are the weights that you need to jettison from your life? What are the sins and the temptations that you need to stay away from? How do you need to plot on? How do you need to just take that one next persistent step? And then how will you hyper-focus and hyper-follow on Jesus? Letting everything else kind of fade away. Would you bow your heads? Let me read you one last verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not of those who give up. We are not of those who only make it 90 miles. We refuse all but Jesus. 
if that's your heart, if that's your prayer, in this moment of quiet, would you say, Jesus, that's who I want to be? Do whatever it takes to get me there. If you've been resisting the idea of fasting, is God nudging you this morning, saying, come on, I got you. You don't want to miss this. Is there some weight or sin that God has put his finger on and said, you got to let that go? If he's inviting you to do it, understand he is a loving heavenly dad and he has only good for you, even when it's hard. Lord, I pray that you would create in each one of us, individually and all of us as a whole, this commitment to persevere and endure all the way to the end, whatever it takes. Lord, I pray, especially when we're in the trenches, when we're in the, the hard slogging times, that you would motivate us, you would help us, you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, you would do whatever it takes to keep pushing us on. Keep our eyes on you. Keep our eyes on your joy. I pray for each person here that in the struggles that are part of the discipline, part of the training that you've got, help them see through your eyes and to lean into you. And for us as a congregation, Lord, do whatever you want to do to make us, mold us into your body in more and more powerful ways. We give ourselves to you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me encourage you 